I, I bet there's some sort of second-hand squig-off dealership. Episode 39 of the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined by Daniel Foley. Hello. And Dave Barker. Hey Tony, hey listeners, hey Dan. Hello, alright? Yeah. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at NarrativeWarGamer. You can also contact us via email at NarrativeWarGamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you could do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. And uh, yeah, Happy New Year's, guys. Oh yeah, that was the yeah. thing. We're, we're, it's 2022. That's right. The calendar has moved on. We are now in the future year 2022. I feel like we are in some sort of future sort of sci-fi film. I'm in the future now. Doesn't feel very futuristic though. As long as that sci-fi film's not Event Horizon. <laughs> the greatest 40k film that's not a 40k film ever. Well, put it this way, we're now in the uh, like far-flung future year, so much so that new Eldar models are actually a prospect. I know. <laughs> I'm actually... Is that, is that a bit like the Mayan calendar? That's like one of the predicted end-of-days things. It's like plastic aspect warriors. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the the, um, the Manadandra was actually referring to a gathering of seven plastic phoenix lords. That was when the end times <laughs> will occur. <laughs> Um, but oh yes, this is a this is our first episode of 2022. Um, I wasn't sure whether or not we'd have gotten one out um, before the end of the year, but we did get out um, our latest casual conversations bonus episode on the 31st. So it was technically another episode in 2021. I have to confess, I've not listened to that yet. But since I, I was a part of it, I think I can I can get away with it. I have, and I've, I, whilst listening to it, it may have sounded like I've got a massive man crush on Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you did live, so. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he's a top bloke, and I'm not denying it. It's it's Warhammer. I think we all do, really. <laughs> he's definitely, you know, the king of the geeks. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, we've we've all had a. A good new year, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Took some time off work. Managed not to check my work emails and all that kind of stuff. Went to visit the Outlaws up in North Wales and um, spent time with the family. So, uh, got 
got some space marines for Christmas. What can you want? Surely not. <laughs> like you didn't. <laughs> I didn't get a space. I didn't get space marines for Christmas. May have got three basilisk, but that's not, <laughs> that's not. The, that's not no, a space marine. It's okay. not a space marine. Well, I, so for me, I got some Games Workshop vouchers, and I did what I usually do with uh, space marines. Tony, do it. Space marine. Uh, don't don't tempt me, Dave. I've been more and more tempted to like look at Death Watch. I genuinely have. They're really good. I mean, uh, the other thing that I did with some of my Christmas money, and um, these guys can see what I'm doing because we're on camera with each other uh, at the moment. But I ordered myself one of these, and it won't be obvious even when I hold it up to camera. But it's the the third edition made to order plastics. Oh yes. Did you? I might have I've done still it twice. Got those. I've still got them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, so do I. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd, I thought I'd, uh, I'd, I might, uh, I'm looking at building up some Eldar in the future. That's one of the things that's on my painting desk. So, but I do like the idea of uh, an, an, an army. I quite like that new force in, in uh, Eldar. So I thought I'd add in some craft world and some dark Eldar together into a mix. Could be quite fun. It looks like it's going to be a good Eldar range. It really does. I mean, there was one part of me that thought when they revealed the new box set and they showed the Autark had um, multiple weapon options, I thought, it has the rumor engine, has it just been a selection of the different Autark <laughs> weapons available in this kit? Yeah. <laughs> I think it has. Yeah. To be honest, I think it has. It's like, oh, look, um, we're showing you a picture of a fusion rifle. It must be new fire dragons. We're showing you a picture of a Reaper launcher. It must be new Dark Reapers. Oh, no. Turns out it's just the fusion rifle and Reaper launcher carried by this Autark. <laughs> but we'll I see. Hope I'm hoping there's some in the future. I mean, the. Um, big double-edged chainsaw has yet to appear so maybe striking scorpions are on the way. I hope so because they are my favourite aspect. <laughs> Just, they're cool. I figured since we're starting out a new year, why don't we start by trying to wrap up everything that was left over from 2021. So tonight is going to be the next instalment in our Fun fact series, something which Dan in particular has been making efforts to ensure he was part of again. <laughs> I was so disappointed I wasn't allowed to take part in the last one because I read it. <laughs> well, yes. I was so disappointed. I actually threw a bit of a strop. <laughs> Dan, as if you would. Yeah, of course it would. I mean, trust the um, of everyone. Trust the teacher to be one who failed at the homework assignment of don't read the source material. <laughs> 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 but yeah, hope... at school. so hopefully you should find this one to be more entertaining because, as I say, you've not actually read um, the narrative stuff in Critical Mass, but it's no. a it's a good one and it's it's going to be a nice way to sort of round up everything that was going on in Octarius. Um, my real hope is that next episode we can look at the Flashpoint stuff for Octarius from the last five months of White Dwarf. There's been quite a few, hasn't there? Yeah, I think it's. I think there's been five issues over the last six months that have included some Octarius Flashpoint stuff. Um, and that then is going to kind of wrap up everything that's out there for narrative play stuff for Octarius. Now, okay. obviously, there are still the two mission packs, the Containment and Catastrophe packs, which we'll be covering uh, at some point, but those are more about the alternate 
game modes, so being that they're respectively for basically Panic Strike and multiplayer, while they've been released alongside the um, Octarius stuff, it, the connection is just basically a little bit of fluff-based things. Um, so I'm hoping we can squeeze those in before we end up having to then do our next six months of coverage on Warzone. Yeah, you're sorted for every six months now. That's it. I was like, and this week. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, in case you just don't get the catastrophe back in. I, I, I did, we did play a mission of that. Just I, I see, yeah. Cool. Which one did you play, Dave? <laughs> yeah, with, with Luke and Lee. <laughs> I don't remember which mission it was, but just before Christmas, the last the last club night of the Christmas, there were only two tables turned up. There were three 40k players, me, Luke, and Lee, and there was a big bolt action game with four players. So we just had a, a three a three player game uh, of Crusade because we all wanted to play Crusade anyway with our Crusade forces. So it was Necrons versus Soul Hunters versus Death Watch, which was nice and nice and narrative, um, and. Uh, it was the one with four uh, objectives in the middle, and you had to control two or more. Uh, so. Not, not going to lie, I thought you said Soul Haunt, and I just had this well, image, so, this image of the Age of Sigma ghost army taking part in this. <laughs> this yeah, you, you know better than that, Tony, and so do our listeners. They know they know all about Thunderwolf and on Instagram and his Soul Haunters, <laughs> prime, Lost Primaries Force, um, and our mate Lee's got a really beautifully painted version of that. I mean, uh, if anybody wants to see that, look up Nation of Lee. Instagram, and there'll be lots of pictures of his soul haunters right now. It is very swish. Yeah, yeah they are. <laughs> Although it did really annoy him when I went and played against him with my Rainbow Warriors at Warhammer World, and people were coming past going, Ooh, are they Rainbow Warriors? And I kept going, Have you seen those soul haunters? They're much better painted. And they go, Yes, but you've got bright and shiny Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, speaking of new things and new years, we also do have a couple of new patrons since the last episode. Um, funnily enough, we even got just a brand new one only yesterday, so he picked a good day to sign up. <laughs> so we have got two new patrons that we need to shout out. So first up and foremost is Mr. Dave Forster. So thank you, Dave. Uh, I noticed that you have very much joined our little community with a lot of enthusiasm. You've immediately appeared in the Facebook group, Patreons chat, just here, there and everywhere and you and you're already engaging and that's just great to see. So we are happy to have you. Yeah, welcome aboard. Thanks for thanks for signing up to the Patreon. Cool. And then next in We don't line... need to mention the other one. The other one's <laughs> fine. that's that's the other one's alright. He's alright. He's he's a top bloke out here, but we don't need to mention him at all. That's <laughs> Well, I suppose for the sake of completeness, we might as well shout out a certain Mr. Daniel Folly for his contributions towards the show, both Patreon and hosting. Thanks I mean, Dave much. sounded fine, but do we have to accept anybody? <laughs> I just <coughs> got around to doing it. I was like, Christmas Day, I was like, I really should. <laughs> oh, was, was, that, was that my Christmas Day present, was it? You it was, it was. Patron. Happy Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, as, as funny as it is that, you know, yes, you, you have ended up appearing on the next episode, but as always, as promised, every new patron gets a shout out on the next yeah. episode, even if they themselves are appearing on it. <laughs> so thank you, Dan, and thank you, Dave. And um, yeah, I mean, as you've as we mentioned, we got a new episode of Casual Conversations up, so that's available now to go listen to for all our patrons. Um, and 
there are plans to hopefully start producing them more regularly throughout this next year. So there should be more and more rewarding new stuff on there for patrons. The other exciting announcement that we we have for the start of the new year is that we are going to be running the first of the Narrative Wargamer events later this year in April. Um, so this is going to be the Crucible of War event. And the idea is it's going to be just a really exciting one-day narrative play event. And it's going to sort of encompass so many of the elements of the sort of things that we talk about on this show and that aspect inside of the gameplay in particular um, and really hopefully just be a a showcase of the kind of things that you can do in you know narrative play in 40k um so it's something that i've been excited about planning for a while now we've got it they nailed down at this point to the month of April. So it's going to be at Tabletop Events, which is a venue in Derbyshire, basically just next to Nottingham. Um, so if you're listening anywhere in the UK or, or abroad, if you are so inclined to travel <laughs> that far, um, then yeah, we're going to be nailing down some of the specific details over the coming weeks. We'll be posting about it in the Facebook group and over on the Instagram and all the rest of it because Tickets will probably be going live shortly, if not already at this point. Um, and we're probably going to be capping it around 30 players tops, but we really just need about like 10 players or so to get it running as an event. Um, but the idea is that, yeah, it's going to be a series of games which we'll be using uh, missions drawn from all kinds of publications in recent years across sort of like 8th and ninth edition so that could be from like, uh, the original Vigilist series of books it could be from Crusade mission packs it could be from legendary missions from the current Warzone supplements Any, basically a whole selection of really exciting and unusual gameplay missions and every game is also going to be played using a unique theatre of war so there will be um, environmental effects and all these different things and the idea is that the range and style of terrain and setups they've got at tabletop events is going to really allow us to really put together some tables that represent those environments and some missions that are going to be really cool to play on them so for example I believe they've got a setup that could work as the exterior of a spaceship hull so we could okay. play like the, uh, the breaching mission from Saga of the Beast They've got Tyranid terrain, so we could have a mission that's been played on a devoured world, you know. And yeah, it's just going to be really cool. So it's not going to be a a typical competitive Swiss-style, you know, matched play event. Um, we'll be using things like, you know, match play rules to create, like, battle-forged armies, but we're going to be playing with power level um, and... We're not going to be using standings throughout the day. It's just going to be we're going to play free games. People will be paired off either by pre-arranging or their games um, on tables they want to play on or opponents they want to play against, or being paired off in ways that we think will probably create interesting matches. You know, between the armies and the missions being played. Yeah. And the idea is that each table at the event is going to have a mission and Theatre of War assigned to it, and that table plays that mission and setup all day. So the players at the tables are going to change every round, but the missions on each individual table is going to stay the same. So there will be, you know, anywhere between, 
like five to fifteen different missions, and the idea is no single person will end up probably with the same string of free missions as anyone else that day. And at the end of it all, there will be a bunch of awards handed out for various achievements and accolades. But specifically, we're not going to be handing out a best general award because that's not what it's about. Yeah. Especially when the missions are going to be that varied that it's going to kind of be impossible to determine, you know, a best general anyway in an even and fair way because yeah. some missions are going to be scoring points in very different manners to others. So beyond wins and losses in your free games, there wouldn't really be a way of measuring it. And again, we're not going to necessarily pair people off in you know rounds two and three based on success in the first rounds. So it's basically going to be just a really great, unique experience um, in terms of a narrative play event with the goal at the end of the day is that everyone's going to walk away with three great stories about three great games that they played. Yeah, it sounds really good. I think I'm going to have to try and save up my uh, domestic loyalty points to try and get a pass out. Yeah, I quite like the. I'm quite looking forward to using the um, battle zone. Is it not battle zone? Sorry, brain not working. Effects, events, weather, that kind of thing. Special yeah, effects. All the environmental stuff. That's the one. Uh, yeah, that's the thing I've never get to play really that much because it just to where our local group is. It's not really done thing. Not that it's not the done thing, but. But that's kind of the whole point of this event is it in all honesty it's not typically the done thing in most places and this is an opportunity where like-minded people who want to try these things out and have a day of playing with all this you know experimental narrative rule sets can do so and come together and have a great day of it and maybe if they try it in this environment they then take that experience take it back to their respective you know game clubs and social circles and be hey why do we try this i tried this at this event it was actually really great We'll have to take Tony's example and make some lava markers, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I will be bringing my lava markers to the event on the day. Bringing the lava markers. I, I mean, I, I... I already have the mission in mind that I'm going to pair with the lava markers, so I know it, how I'm going to be manipulating people to have to try and play around an encroaching lava field. As long as we can use lava-based uh, puns while we're playing, then that's that's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be a little bit of a hot topic, but sure. Three. <laughs> we can only do those in the basalt phase. <laughs> oh, uh, I love you guys. <laughs> I'll be magnanimous about it. <laughs> well, listeners, unbelievably, we've not prepared this. <laughs> can you tell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can tell. Uh, right, well. With that, I think it's about time that we move on to our pit station garrison. So, yeah, look out for details and updates about the narrative war game and the Crucible of War event packs and details to come. Um, they'll mostly be on the Facebook page, but also Instagram and other, other socials. Uh, so if you're interested, DM me, get in touch, or let's say just come get involved in the chat on the Facebook group. And yeah. We'll, uh, we'll check in with what we've been doing on our paint station garrison now before we move over to our latest fun facts quiz, where I'm sure Dan will be excitedly giggling at many a bad pun. Oh, I hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Paint station garrison. 
guys. So it's been a little while since we've checked in with the Penn Station Garrison due to Warzone episodes and Christmas breaks and other things. So yeah, um, hopefully we've all got a various range of things we've been working on, possibly even some projects from Christmas, who knows. Dan, what have you been uh, working on recently? So mainly something that I absolutely hate working on, which is terrain, which I, I usually can't stand terrain. It's like the bottom of my to-do list. Um, I've just put a photo of my new stuff on the Patreon chat. Um, and I managed to order some, because I'm fed up, basically this all boils down to me being a sore loser. And uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I bought some, because on the tables we have at the club at the moment, they're quite low. The terrain's very low and I keep getting shot to pieces by Dark Elder, not naming any names, Tom, you know who you are. Um, and so I may have bought some boxes from War Games Tournament, like some um, sort of shells, they're called building shells. They're really cool, got them in a sale and I have been painting them up I've been using the sort of textured spray to spray them all up um, so that they're all textured. Uh, they're all painted up, dry brushed. And I managed to get off of eBay um, some Aquila stencils. So now I've, they've got the Aquila sort of stencils on them as well. So that's what I've mainly been doing as well as painting other copious amounts of toys, building basilisks and turning my garage into some sort of arms race. But that's, that's, that's essentially what I've been up to. Yourself. <laughs> well, I saw um, you had recently built some of the, well, I say recently, but have you also built some of these sector mechanica stuff, like the pipelines and things? Was it the Charidon Warzone box, by the looks of it? No, I've had those for ages, um, and I got cross at my terrain again. <laughs> so I may have, and Dave will remember, you know those cliffs I have, Dave? Yeah. I don't have them anymore. Uh, ones you made out of the expanding foam yeah so I used that I had these expanding foam cliffs that I'd embedded the pipes and sector mechanical stuff it was stuff good in. scenery we used it, it on the, big, uh, the yeah. big Christmas game a couple of years ago yeah it was time. we don't have that anymore it's, it's gone it's, I mean, I, I, you don't I, well yeah <laughs> I, I cannibalised it so what I wanted to do which I've now done is make one of the um, maybe you've seen them in the White Dwarfs or at Warhammer World where they take the two generators the yeah. emo globin generators whatever they're called <laughs> and that's the one um and then put one of the cylinders in the middle so you get this sort of yeah. generator uh, so i finally managed to do one of those because i thought they looked cool um so that's done and then i just sort of took i did an orc thing and just put things together and built stuff well yeah that's why i asked because that exact like converted piece of terrain you just talked about with the um the silo on its side and the generator acting as the like the caps on either end i was curious to know how easy that was to do because i've seen that exact concept done a couple times online and really easy yeah I, it looks like it works so streamlined from pictures so I assume that must be not too difficult to do because I've seen so many people do it and do it well. The, the thing about the thing about all the current games like Range of Terrains is is it's, it's incredibly well designed, all to standard measurements as mm. you'd expect from the Imperium and STC. Tom, the other Tom at our club, not the one with Dark Elder, um, he ha he bought a lot of it at one point, and I don't know whether he got in trouble, but he had a lot of terrain and it was mixed and matching it up, and we we were laying it out at the club. And, and realize that 
they're all standard sizes. They're all like an inch and two inch and three inches, and they're all the same heights off things. So they really do properly interconnect well. It's not it's not look. It's really properly being designed that way to make it dead easy. So if anybody's seen any of these conversions uh, and they want to have a go online, they they're really easy to do right now. They are really simple. There is two things you need to know when making that conversion. Um, there is a White Dwarf article out there to show you how to do it. I can't oh, remember really? which one. I yeah, there is. They, they, there is a White Dwarf article. It was when they made some gene stealer culturing. Um, it's not the reason why I wanted to do it, but I know that if people can find it, and if you're a member of Warhammer Plus, I think that White Dwarf is now in the vault, so it is out there for you to have a look. It's quite recent. There's so much in that vault now. Yeah, okay, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, but the one thing you do need to know if you're making that uh, conversion is that there's two sticky out pipes on either side of the, I'm pointing like this as if you can see me, you know. Um, there's the sort of two pipes that connect left to right when you because they come the, the, the cylinder comes into uh, the generators come in two halves so you just plonk them on the end of the, um, the cylinder but what you need to do is remove the pipes with a craft knife and then it's that's it once you've done that yeah the... so that was the one thing that I'd seen because I've seen there's like two variants of this particular build one which uses one generator and one that uses two because yeah. you could, because the, the generator comes in, like you say, that two-piece sandwich, as it were. You can either use one generator where you take each half of it for each end of the silo, but you have to then cut off the out outflow inflow pipes for the pipelines. Or if you happen to have a second generator, you can actually just create the generators in their normal state and put them then like back to back with the silo and you get to keep the inflow outflow pipes so weirdly that's harder to do um because of the amount of stuff on the end of it so it doesn't look quite it, it's easier to do the two halves weirdly um because it, it is because it's plastic and you just need a, a craft knife and you just whip i clipped it mm. whipped it whipped it off with a craft knife and sanded it. It's so it's so quick. But yeah, that stuff is amazing. I always wanted to do one and I was like, oh, give it a go. I'm, I can't believe that the um, the main line set for that um, range of terrain isn't currently readily accessible. So the Sector Imperialis stuff isn't currently sold on the shelf. Now, they still produce it occasionally. For example, it showed up in the um, latest Kill Team box with the Sisters and the Town. Right. Um, and the Sisters of Battle terrain piece uses that system. So it is Imperialis building sections, but it's only for the Sanctum and that's it. So there's still some of it out there, but the mainline kits for it are currently not in production, which um, is a the... shame. It is, you might be able to get some, the next time period where you might be able to get some is um, through the Imperium magazine. I believe they're going to be doing some of the stuff. Yeah, So that again, might be the next, next available moment. I honestly wonder if they've um, just diverted their production output for those kits currently to things like the Imperium magazine, uh, Kill Team box sets, and possibly even to creating um, like terrain outlets for um, event organizers, including their own circle of event stuff that they're now trying mm. to, you know, obviously put out there with their more standardized official events and stuff. Um, they've started running these open events and so on. But we'll see. Maybe 
in a year or two's time we might see them come back as a mainline release. I would be excited for that anyway. <laughs> Fingers crossed. How about you, Dave? What have you been working on? Yeah, I, uh, I've i not been painting nearly as much as usual recently. I've been doing a lot of other things like work. Um, and also, um, it's more thinking, reading. I've been looking at a few other games recently as well. But um, I, I have completed some things since I was done. So I've been expanding my Death Watch some more. So I finished a Death Watch Thunderfire Cannon, the tech marine that goes with it, uh, which was is kind of fun. So that's it's a, quite an extensive repaint of the one that I bought secondhand. And the same with three Centurions, Death Watch Centurions, which came out. I'm quite really pleased with those. I was a bit worried at first because the, the guy I bought them off had a really pallid painting style, uh, which made their, their skin look really shallow, uh, like you kind of usually see in Iron Hands and things like that. And I, I, I talked to Dan, uh, my painting confidant here, about how to liven them up, and I discovered that uh, a quick wash with uh, Gullum and Flesh uh, brought them rather more back to life uh, than they were before. So. That came out really well, um, and then then just for other little projects, when I I, I went to salute uh, in November, and uh, got given a freebie, uh, an MDF shed from Sarissa, uh, which is just a little garden shed, uh, and I practiced uh, painting that with with craft paints and pencil crayons, uh, and I'll probably use it for some other stuff. Yeah, 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 but just trying some different materials and different things. Not everything needs to be paint, right? Not everything needs to come out of a Citadel pot. We usually use those, they're convenient and we know how they work, but I just thought I'd try, try doing some other stuff with it. And uh, it's come out really well, I'm really pleased with it. So, um, water-soluble pencil crayons, uh, maybe the thing you need for those difficult details on tanks. I might try be trying them for edge highlighting tanks in the future. Uh, might work quite well. Um, and then I painted a couple of small boats. Um, so I got the Reaper do a, uh, a set in the, the MDF black stuff. Um, so I've been painting a couple of small boats for uh, Silver Bayonets, uh, which I'm intending to start playing a little bit of, which is a new Osprey game. So not really 40k at all, but um, uh, like a skirmish game for undead in the Napoleonic era, uh, which, you know, has probably got some transfers to 40k, but anyway, that's what I've been doing. And some crates and some scatters here and stuff like that. So that's what I've completed. And then I've been working on some more Rainbow Warriors. I've got five Rainbow Warriors on my desk at the moment, quite excited about they're the old uh, armor through the ages kit if you remember that so everything from mark one through mark five and um, i've been painting a squad of those to use as elites or heroes or sergeant i don't know i'm going to use them yet but i'm painting them damn it <laughs> does that I've, mean uh, you'll aim to get um some models of mark six through ten as well eventually to sort of complete I've most, the set? mostly already got those <laughs> yeah and maybe five specific ones you know for the, the line yeah. up as it were Perhaps, perhaps not. I might just use them as a stern guard or something like that. I need to look at the unit composition, but um, uh, I'll find a use for them. Yeah, I'm just painting them at the moment more than anything else. Uh, I've been doing some work on some halflings. I've got a desire to have a really old school halfling type army. You have uh, many desires, Dave, and yeah, yeah, they're yeah. all very expansive. Just... <laughs> well, <it's> just... <laughs> and, and often old school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, the halflings I've been working on. I've got a unit of 10, uh, the old Jez Goodwin Striking Scorpions, as we build up towards the LR release uh, on my painting desk here. And I've got, um, I've got actually six of the fail cast dra dragons waiting to go as well. Uh, and quite a lot of other little bits of things. Um, some old school tanks, um, you know, well, everything. I'm just looking at what I've got here. You can see me looking. You can see it in the background. Right? <laughs> 
not painting like, that attack. That attack's already painted. You should it. start charging people, Dave, to come around that room like Warhammer World. Like, <laughs> just... Yeah, people people would stay longer though. They would. <laughs> so yeah, plenty more on the desk, but that's that's kind of my main things that I'm working on. Well, if you hold uh, your Rainbow Warriors, I'll probably pick up some Death Watch again in the future, uh, in the nearest future. Got some half so yeah, that's where I'm at. Fair enough. Um, well, I myself have once again been painting more Lamenters. <laughs> and let me tell you, painting a Lamenters Rhino takes many layers of yellow paint. Many, many layers. <laughs> but it is done now. Um, so I won't linger too long on them as um, it's just been more Lamenters stuff that I've been working on for this commission. It is so nearly done now. There's only eight more power armoured models. And then it's done. Um, so that's what I've been working on mostly in terms of painting. Um, so the first half of a 10-man tactical squad and their accompanying rhino is all done. But what I have been doing recently, which has been a long time since I last did this, was I've actually been doing a lot of building of new orc models. Okay. Um, so I've essentially been working through the contents of a combat patrol box and then the commandos from the kill team um, uh, release. I mean, I mean, for orcs, that's not a lot of orcs, is it? That's just small, small unit orcs. Well, it's about 30 orc boys. That's that's one squad, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like three squads of small units, as it were, but no, I think it's about 40 infantry models that I've built, um, the three death copters, the mega armor, the war boss, and two death dreads because of the fact that um, me be me with my death skulls of course I had to have a looted vehicle to represent one of my dreadnoughts so I have taken a Victor tactical warsuit and I've turned it into a death dread <laughs> yay that, that's on my top list of conversions that are cool that everyone should do it's just it show, highlights really the the variety that you can bring into uh, the 40k army just in orcs alone but it, it, it strikes in stark contrast at the moment I'm while we're talking I'm writing up my crusade list for uh, for my death watch army because I need to update it before everything tomorrow and uh, I've got a 50 power level force with 18 models in it <coughs> and um, I, I don't think you could do that with orcs could you? <laughs> um, not unless we were all in mega armor <laughs> Yeah, yeah they might just be able to uh, shrink the numbers down to that if I have several characters in there as well. I, I guess that's what I've done. I've got three dreadnoughts in this list. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yes, now going with the orcs, it just is stark contracts to the 40k that I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's interesting because so, and like one of the reasons why I collect death skulls as my clan of choice is because I like the concept of the looted vehicles. But that's not because I necessarily want to run them as looted vehicles. You know, I don't want to take an Invicta Warsuit and use it as an Invicta Warsuit. I don't plan to take a Lehman Russ and use it as a Lehman Russ. I just like to take things from the other rangers that can be feasibly looted and use them as something that is basically their approximate in the orc range. So my looted wagons, uh, my looted Lehman Russes are my gun wagons. So yeah. they're you know, my battle wagon sized vehicles with a big cannon. Um, the looted uh, Invicta Warsuit is a death dread. And 
it's not like it looks like it's an Invicta War suit just painted blue with orc glyphs on it, <laughs> as opposed to an ultramarine one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, it, it is, um, you know, it's covered in orc armor plates. It's got its orc equivalent weapons. So as a dreadnought, it's got two combat weapons and two um, weapon mounts, which are magnetized. So I can use them as either custom mega blasters or rockets or big shooters or whatever. And the whole reason for the inspiration for this particular conversion was because the Invicta can hold a pistol grip dreadnought sized gun <laughs> weapon. And I wanted to do that with an orc weapon. So my Death Dread is wielding a pistol gripped custom mega blaster. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> and it looks awesome. It's especially funny how some of the like orc claw uh, pieces off the dreadnought hands and feet fit nicely as replacement fingers on the Imperial Power Fist hand. <laughs> so it okay. looks like a clawed um, Dreadnought hand and it's really cool. I was really pleased with how well that sort of fitted together. Nice. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, but so as a byproduct of that, I end up getting a Dreadnought, a, a typical Death Dread kit, the one that came in the Combat Patrol box. And I, I used its parts to make the Invictor into a Death Dread. So, you know, I've taken the, the claws and the weapon mounts and so on. But obviously, I've still got spare parts. Like, I've still got spare weapons. It comes with more options than you can put on one single Death Dread anyway. So I've still been able to build up the standard Death Dread as a Death Dread. It's not like it's been gutted of that many things. I can't use it as a model in its own right. <laughs> so I'm just working on um, adjusting that one now because... What I've actually done is I've ordered an 80 mm base, base to put it on, which is larger than the 60 I think it comes with, because the Invicta is on a 90 mm base. Okay. And it would feel weird to me having my two Dreadnoughts, which mechanically are the same, like in game rules, but one of them's like the equivalent of a Gravis Captain stood next to a, a, a Firstborn Scout. You know, like... You're doing it again. You're worrying about modeling for advantage on a narrative podcast. <laughs> it's more about modeling for consistency. It's more about my own obsessiveness with it. I'm like, this is a dreadnought. Oh, this is also a dreadnought. But these clearly that's... look different in scale, as it were. But... That's entirely acceptable. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is, the reason why I think it's going to work nicely is because the actual Orc Death Dread is one of these models which very much so overhangs its base. Like it looks like it's balancing on its base because its feet are literally at the edges of it. Its arms are massively extending out. So I think actually putting it on an eighty mil base is going to be the same as like when Marines went to thirty mils. You know, it's going to yeah, look like it fits it appropriately. Yeah, I've got a lot of lot of space Marines on twenty five mil bases. I'm quite happy with. <laughs> you always get base adapters, which is what I've done. Yeah. So yeah, so I had a lot of fun building that as my latest looted vehicle, and it has already immediately shot up my Instagram to be my most liked post ever. And that was even just a work in progress of it, that I haven't even posted a finished version of its full build yet. <laughs> and I've yet to paint it, so we'll see. Um, but the other thing that I've had fun sort of like experimenting with is working with the new Orc Boy kits. Both okay. the standard Orc Boys and the Commandos. So they're sort of like latest generation of orc infantry, which are not the clean cut 
multi-part kits of the last generation where you've got those you know 90 degree flat edges on the like the shoulder joints and stuff to just swap arms and heads out they're part of this more monopose generation which i still don't think really is a bigger issue as many people make out to me um and i feel like that's exactly what i've sort of proven with my commandos kit so the commando kit and kill team comes with 10 commandos but they come effectively with i think it's seven different weapon variants because only four of them are actually standard slugger chopper commandos the others are all like this is your custom shooter this is your big shooter this is your rocket launcher this is the knob this is the shocker pistol and so on so i built them all up because of course i wanted to use all the cool fancy weapons because when you're playing power level it doesn't particularly matter you can just bring them all in anyway and they're awesome like i would want my commando units to have breaching rams and shocker pistols and all the cool toys but at the same time i wanted to be able to ideally field just a unit of 10 commandos which is just choppers and sluggers of a knob you know that's an option then if i want to use them in a match play environment where i, I want to shave points off the unit or if i just want to play a 15-man unit you know and i've got the extra choppers and slugger guys so my solution to this was that I took the Orc boys I've got from the standard infantry kit that came with the combat patrol and I've turned them into extra commandos. And the easy way of doing that was that one, spare commando heads, so extra gas mask heads for Orcs and similar. And basically arm swaps and um, adding lots of extra little gadgets and details from the commando kit so taking things like the scopes and um, silencers from the commando sluggers and swapping them out or putting those on the regular boy sluggers um, putting things like the extra pouches the knives the um, the army knives in particular the the orky army knives um, putting those on the pockets and belts and things of the regular boys and through a combination of weapon swaps, head swaps and extra bits they look like commandos that could have been part of that kill team release Okay, cool. like the poses work nicely just a little bit of green stuff work just to mould some shoulder gaps and you know neck gaps between the heads and I found the exact same thing was true of the regular boys in terms of creating diversity for them. Head swaps. It's the simplest and effective way of taking those models that have the same pose and making them look like different models. Yeah. Enough yeah. that they don't look like clones of each other, but they also look coherent as a unit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even just even the same heads pointing in a different direction, if you can reposition the head, um, you get a different bearing on the whole model. Anyway, that's why so, I quite like the uh, Cadian upgrade sprue that they did. I know because it just makes them a bit different, giving them a bit of character. Mm. So it's a good idea. I, I think honestly, one of the best ways, if if you want to try and solve the diversity and weapon loadout issues that come with the standard orc boy kit now, because I know a lot of people obviously have a bugbear with the fact the unit is forcibly split in loadout as well between shooters. And chopper boys i highly advise if you pick up a box of boys 
pick up a box of the commandos at the same time okay. and pair them off because you can make yourself 10 slugger chopper boys if you want and you'll get halfway to a shooter boy unit and you'll get that one downside with that as of recording it's not available on its own yet 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 i'm waiting for the death call so i'm hoping because they are they are definitely coming out separately so yeah i know that the orc boys kit is out this month um, by itself you know as a standalone and yes we know that the kill teams are going to be coming eventually as their own kits so when that's a thing that's what i advise doing if you want to create that diversity in orc units because you don't even have to go heavily on the commando thing a lot of the details are optional extras you don't have to put on and there are like open faced head options as well as the cast masks and stuff so i do think you can use them as um, adding to that variety of poses and weapons to basically make your 10-man, 15-man units more feasible and diverse with very little effort. Yeah, no, it's always good to look for those options, particularly if the, the you know, a unit of 30 boys that all look the same is a little bit depressing to you. Um, it's definitely great to know there's, there's options out there to, to mix them up. doesn't bother Dan. Dan's got guard. You should see his uh, conscripts. It's not fun to paint. They they are parade ground identical. Good job with that then. Oh man, they were dull. <laughs> Still well, neat white lines on their heads. <laughs> well, on that note, I think Dan needs cheering up, so I think it's time that we move on to his favourite part of the show, and we're gonna dive now into the 40k <laughs> fun facts quiz for Warzone Octarius part two. So yeah. excited! Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. You gets listen up now, and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative Wah Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions, specialising in good quality, Army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you gits. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the boy. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them RedTube sent you. You might get some extra special.
Right, guys, and we are back. So, for those of you who are listening who have not heard one of these episodes before, this is our latest fun facts quiz. So it's where we've looked at the narrative and the events in the lore that happen in a recent publication, in this case, Octarius Part 2, Critical Mass, and we basically have a good old laugh with some of the stuff that happens in there that is just so 40k and so you know um hilarious about the sort of things that go on in the universe so what i've done um is as always i devise a quiz for my co-hosts who diligently have not read the content in depth (laughs) so that they don't know the exact goings on um and i present them with a series of multi-choice questions over a couple of rounds and they have to try and work out which of the answers are either the ridiculous thing that actually does happen in the law, or the ridiculous thing that I've made up, but which could easily have happened in the law. <laughs> I'm just hoping for another data canyon. Yeah, the data canyon was good. I, lo- I like the data canyon. I think Bellacore's you know, birthday cake. Be- Bellacore's subquest was one of my favourite sentences of the night. Nights, nights yeah. with the refrigerator. He's <laughs> <laughs> going again. He's going again. It's just funny. And and the fact about the the fabricator general of the Forge world when I was I was there I was very tempted to blow my budget and buy a Sakarian battle tank simply so I could have one and put a tiny piece of spine on the top. <laughs> <laughs> ah yes, old Heptus Clang. That's right. That's a great name. All day. Oh, just just you wait, Dad. So again, for those who've not listened before, we traditionally always have a name game round, which includes a uh, true or false series of questions based on ridiculous naming conventions, be it characters, locations, or something. Um, last time it was chapters of Space Marines, which were either Cornate Warbands or Loyalist chapters fighting in the defense of the Imperium. And yet they all had names like the Blood Drinkers and the Skull Crushers and the Rampages. <laughs> I'm tempted to paint a Blood Drinkers army. It's a very nice color scheme. <laughs> so you will not be surprised to know uh, that this time it is going to be orky names so have fun with that when we get to it because <laughs> there are many ridiculous ones in this book so yeah just to set the scene um, last time we did this we looked at part one of Octarius and it was all about basically um, how the Inquisition had set up the cordon um, to try and contain the Tyranids and the Orcs as they're basically destroying each other and potentially attempting to break out of the Imperial Coordinate Penetra. Book 2 now basically follows um, two main events that happen within the Octarius Sector inside the Cordon. The first is um, the invasion of Sigma Ulstari, which is basically the main key forge world within the Cordon, which is the only place where defence reinforcements have actually been sent to try and hold as a vital location inside the Cordon due to its strategic value and industrial output. And what happens when it comes under attack by various Tyranids and Orcs. The second main event is actually what happens in the core Octaria star system itself, where the High Fleet Leviathan, led by the Swarm Lord, is basically attempting to devour the Orc worlds there, including the homeworld of, um, not the Arch Archonist, that's Charidon, um, the, oh God, 
uh, the Overfiend, that's it, yeah. Where the, the Swab Lord is attempting to basically consume the worlds of the Orcs and the Overfiend himself. You can't look to us for reminders for these names because we've not read it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's basically what we've got here. So the first round is going to be all about um, Sigma Ulstari stands and the <laughs> the Imperial defense of the world. So Sigma Ulstari stands, are they the name for those really awkward flight stands for the Primaris <laughs> No, that would be Sigma Ulstari constantly falls over. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it would be a bit rubbish if Sigma Ulstari was... was... Help where the Cadian Gate was because that that that's not as easier to stay on the battlefield as you're charging. Sigmar's Dari and and you're already dead. It's just. Doesn't I think work. Sigmar's a different game. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will. Um, so we'll start off then with uh, the first question to give our listeners an idea for those who haven't heard before the sort of things that um, we go over. So. My first question of the night. Oh, and in case it wasn't obvious, uh, we do like to keep score on this between our two uh, contestants and see who ends up knowing that. That's only because I've requested it. The best. <laughs> yeah, so round one Sigma Ulstari stands. Question one When the Sigma Ulstari system became overburdened with the flood of hundreds of millions of refugees from the neighboring systems, because obviously we all know the Imperium had abandoned every other planet and system in Octaria. So a lot of the refugees are fleeing these besieged worlds. How did the Mechanicus respond to the masses of humanity seeking safety and protection on their forge world? Did they A. Blockade the system, denying entry to all refugees? Did they B. They welcomed only Mechanicus forces military units, and refugees who could serve as useful slave labour. Or C, they opened fire and destroyed them, concerned that their presence would draw more orcs or tyranids to the system. Well. (laughs) So, I mean, the first option almost seems too nice. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just after Christmas. There's no room at the end option. He's obviously one he's just picked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay. We'll make, would, we'll make room for Baby Omnissiah behind the Cogdashir. I would, I would actually... Do you know what? You've just given me an idea for my next Christmas performance. Um, right, so... <laughs> <laughs> what? This is the kids' nativity this year. We're gonna gun down some refugees. I don't think that would go down well politically. No, no, I meant like mechanicum type of stuff. It'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> oh, little Delta donkey. Yeah, Delta yeah, donkey. yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be great. Um, right. Okay. So I think B or C is the option there. I'm, I'm thinking. Um, Indiscriminate gunfire or selective acceptance. Did you say they made them the ones who would work for them? It's option B. They welcomed only Mechanicum forces, military units, and refugees who could serve as useful slave labour. See, that sounds logical. Yeah, I think it's B. I think it's C. I think it's Jingle Ball Guns. Shoot them now. Jingle Ball Guns. (laughs) Well, I can tell you, the first point of the night goes to Dan. Because yes, they did indeed accept uh, Mechanicus, military, and any 
slave laborers that they could bring into the system and feasibly support. However, the rest of these refugees were delegated to the planetary governors to process, and most of them went, ended up being left to languish in terror and squalor in overcrowded spaceships awaiting uh, processing <laughs> um, for any Xenos taint or corruption, and most of them ended up dying of starvation or disease first while they waited for the Administratum to actually find a place for them. I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> it's, it's 40k, isn't it? It could be. Yeah, it could I mean, be. The processing could have meant Silent Green, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great reference, that. Well done. Thank you. Thank That's, you. It's good. Yep. Um, elsewhere in the uh, Sigma Ulstari system, on the ocean world of Deuteria, how did the seaborne extraction rigs and flotillas defeat the mega shoals of aquatic bioforms deployed by High Fleet Leviathan? So, we're back on another ocean world because Games Workshop loves themselves an ocean world. <laughs> It's not Fathom this time, but uh, this time it's infested with mega shoals of tyranids. Um, so, how oh, did please the be a Jason Statham reference? There's got to be a Jason Statham thing in there somewhere. Come <laughs> on now. <laughs> uh, the, the, the fast and the fang filled. Uh, well, he was in the Meg, wasn't he? He was, he was in the Meg. I'm, yeah. I'm a, yeah. Um. So yeah, so how did the seaborne extraction rigs and flotillas defeat the mega shoals? A, they spread out across the ocean world to disperse the mega shoals into smaller forces, so they were easier to isolate and destroy. B, they beached themselves upon the few land masses that existed across the world and formed makeshift bastions to battle the aquatic bioforms from. Or C. They all gathered in one location to lure the Tyranids together and then bombed them with nuclear atomic depth charges below the surface of the ocean. Yeah, I'm going to go for C again because that planet name was something like Deuterium, which is the heavy water you use in uh, atomic uh, bombs, right? I'm going to go for A because I like I like the idea that they've, like, they spread out and... I. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I genuinely, I'm thinking, I'm going to go with A because I just like the idea of it, it being Tyranid Whack-A-Mole. <laughs> Which is essentially what option A is, yeah. Tyranid, yeah, yeah, it's like, we'll go over Tyranid it. Whack-A-Mole. Yeah, we'll go over it. Slap. <clears throat> well, as entertaining as that would be, I'm afraid, Dave's obscure knowledge is correct. They did, in fact, deploy nuclear depth charges once they'd gathered them all in one place. They nuked them all. It was the only way to be sure. They, they, were, <laughs> they, but they didn't do it from orbit. From orbit. <laughs> they did it from... Did it from... <laughs> we're just going to drop these depth charges, nuclear depth charges, off the sides of our rigs. <laughs> that'll, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. <laughs> Surely that... Yeah, that'll be fine. How deep are they going? No, it'll be all right. There's no, there's no, no problems here. We're not. Get, there's not going to be any issue. At Every, all. Everyone knows nukes can't come up back to the surface if they're underwater. Yeah, it's it, we're we're protected here. This is what happens. You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> so yeah, they they nuked them all after luring them all into one location. But yeah, sub subatomic depth charges. <laughs> Literally, no, that surely it would be sub subatomic. 
possibly. <laughs> because isn't it? Because it would be sub subatomic. Because it's underwater. I've thought about this too much. You know. <laughs> Stop it! It's 40k. You're trying to make sense of 40k. Stop that's the error. The error there. You'll only get lost. <laughs> There's no way back if you try to apply. Do you think? Do you think they end up stuck in a data canyon? I like the idea that they also had some sort of Scottish um, commander in charge who who put on a dodgy accent to try and sort of that 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 kind of happened as well. There could be that that sort of thing. I think I'm not getting the reference, but what I'm thinking is we're doomed. It could be. I was thinking Red October, but yeah, no, is it Red October? Yeah, Red October. So um, on the Prime Forge world, um, Sigma Altari itself. Um, what was one of its primary defences against planetary invasion? Was it A, a violent radstorm atmosphere covered the world, making landing both perilous and impossible to navigate without aid from the surface? I mean, Tyranids don't care, do they? B, the surface of the world consisted largely of kilometre-deep oceans of toxic waste, leaving little landmass for invading forces to land on. Or C, the surface of the world itself no longer sustained a viable atmosphere, forcing invaders to fight in a void-exposed environment. So essentially a bit like a planet-sized moon. That's no That's moon. No moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we watch the same stuff, haven't we, now? <laughs> We need to get out more, Dave. <laughs> we really do. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, Nids aren't going to care about a Bad vacuum stones. either. No. Because they don't care. So. Toxic waste. Yeah. I'm going to go with that one. I'll, I'll go for the, the, the no atmosphere because it's probably a little harsh for him for turnits. No, Steelers are vac- uh, voidborn. They can go through. God, that's sad that I know that. They, they, that's why they go on space holes. They. Um... Yeah, yeah, but they can't live out there forever, can they? They're just resistant to it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for the no atmosphere if you want to go for the uh, toxic sludge. I mean, the whole world that's a sump, right? That's what you're saying. Basically, yeah, there's very little land masses, so most of it's like connected um, archipelagos and stuff, you know, <laughs> across otherwise toxic waste planet. And some cocks. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, yes, it is indeed toxic oceans cover most of the surface of the world, so that is a point for Dan. Yes. Um, what's funny is that. The uh, High Fleet actually deployed Vanguard, Lictors, and Gene Stealers to set pheromone trails on the coastlines so that no mycetic spores would land in the oceans. So they essentially mapped it out <laughs> before they oh, that's um, cool. uh, attempted to land. That's cool. That's very Nid esque. Yeah, all like that. Sort of that's like, nice. Yeah. Don't land uh, past these pheromones because you're going to land in the toxic ocean. <laughs> so. Uh, being obviously a planet on the outer edges of the Cordon, um, <clears throat> Sigma Ulstari did come under multiple invasions by Tyranids over time. So, after the first invasion by Hyphenate Leviathan was eventually repelled thanks to heavily fortified kill zones around these limited landing sites, 
How did the second invasion, only months later, change tactics? Was it A, this time macetic spores began plunging directly into the toxic oceans? B, this time large tunneling bioforms landed first and buried underground? Or C, this time swarms of winged bioforms overwhelmed and sheltered in the upper spires of the hype cities? See, that sounds logical. That sounds... Can't land. I'll just use the... I mean, the idea of, of things going underground in an, uh, where there's water everywhere sounds a bit like, Ah, oh, yes, we've dug this... T-. It'll be a bit like, you know, when you get on the beach. I'm going for that sandcastle reference again. When you go on the beach and, like, you dig a tunnel and then the sea comes in. It's like, oh, my tunnel. I can imagine the nids going, oh, my, my subterranean tunnel. It's, oh, it's all filled in with toxic waste. Pesky Mechanicum at it yeah, again. Yeah, well, no, I just don't buy that. Um, uh, I just, I, I, I think I'm going C, Dave. That's okay. I want to go B for the bone line by bioforms. I think they've, uh, they've harvested some squat DNA and they've got that tunneling line. But so we're going for tunneling and winged assaults, respectively. Yeah, indeed. Well, I can tell you that in this instance, you're actually both wrong. And in fact, oh, this time around, the mycetic spores began plunging directly into the toxic oceans. This was because Hyphlutivatifin had adapted itself in order to be able to survive in the conditions of the corrosive chemicals. And so they deployed directly into these oceans, and then swarms of millions started racing out of the waves to attack the defenders in positions they hadn't fortified because they didn't anticipate attack coming from the coastlines. Oh, I can just imagine the Mechanicum shaking their fists. At them going, <laughs> it's the idea of them having like a really huge, over-the-top powered um, like fortified cannon that can only turn 90 degrees and is pointed at a very particular patch of land. And mm. then the, you know, the Tyranids just come at them from the side instead. And the tech priest is there going, I can't turn it at 180. No one asked me to build it to turn 180. So yeah, unfortunately the mechanical logic failed them in this instance. So, how were the suddenly surrounded Imperial defenders saved from immediate doom at the hands of the encroaching Tyranids? This is where Jason Statham comes in, isn't it? (laughs) This is where he comes in and saves them all. (laughs) Was it A... The arrival of Inquisitor Jason Statham. And the... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. He's in. That uh, no, was it? Was it a the arrival of Inquisitor Shanuhusun, who we know from uh, last episode is the one who basically masterminded the Cordon Impenetra and the concept of the you know uh, defenses around the system? Was it his arrival and the arrival of the promised reinforcements drawn from the nearby worlds of the Cordon Impenetra? Or was it B, the arrival of an Indomitus Crusade torchbearer fleet with numerous reinforcements of Primaris Marines? Or C, the arrival of a huge Orc War forcing the Tyranids to redeploy and fight on two fronts? Oh, they are all very plausible. Yeah, I think the, the Imperium turning up with the reinforcements as promised is probably the least plausible. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right there. Uh, the 
the Primaris Marines arriving, I can see that in you know the the fantastic colour paintings you get on the front of uh, codexes. But isn't this of... after? Isn't this after the Torchbearer fleets though? I can't remember. I've not read uh... the book. Or at least I've not read the second book. I've started reading the first one, following the last quiz. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's about the same time. Um, okay. Um, it's kind of always gonna... ongoing. It's that whole warp ah, travel right, deal, okay. isn't it? You know, like yeah. Just because they left X time doesn't mean they're showing up. You know, timey wimey warp near. stuff again. Uh, I'm going to go with Torchbearer Fleet. I think Torchbearer Fleet. I think Tony's going to get invisible from the Inquisition of the Ordo Kronos if he's not careful. Um, with that whole warp timey wimey thing. <laughs> I, I, sorry, you've gone for the Orcs. Uh, no, I've gone for the the, the Torchbearer fleet. Mm, okay, I'll, I'll go for the Orcs because I do like Orcs versus Turnids. So it's not a classic matchup, but I do like a little bit of Xenos on Xenos action. Well, I can tell you, Dave, that it is indeed a very classic matchup in Octaria, because yes, it was the arrival of a huge Orquois that forced the Tyranage to divert and redeploy and fight on two fronts. So yeah, so this was actually, this was not so much what the saviour of Sigma Ultari um, was, but it was what stopped them dying immediately, basically. It's what saved them from being immediately overwhelmed by Tyranids was the arrival of a huge orc war on their tail, <laughs> just waiting to get stuck in. Um, however, Imperial reinforcements did eventually arrive in the form of Black Templars, led by High Marshal Helbrecht himself. As they arrived, the orcs, which had now started to, you know, to sort of overwhelm the Tyranids, um, they had themselves reached the surface and were now threatening to overwhelm the prime forge spire of Sigma Ulstari. In a costly and desperate bid to halt the orc advance, where did High Marshal Helbrecht confront and eventually kill Warboss Tusker Grob Worldkiller? Was it A, before the gates of the forge spire, amidst the horde of thousands of greenskins? B, atop the Warboss's monstrous siege squigath, aboard its massive battle howder, or C, atop the head of World Killer's personal gargant as it advanced on the Forge Spire. And there's not a lot of landmass, is there? No. So the there's enough for, there's enough for some hives to exist. You know, these there are hive cities on this world. Yeah. The gargant just feels a bit too big. Uh, I, I, I wanna go squig. I do like Squig as well, but I, then I, also de defeating him in front of all the Greenskins—that's going to have a psychic shock in the Green. Well, the not really. It, I always feel like when they talk about that, it's like, "Oh, I've defeated the War Boss." Yeah, but uh, have you seen? Have you seen all these other Orcs that are around? It's a bit like. Yeah, but they, they all—they all start turning inwards and fighting to be becoming the next leader, right? That's, yeah, uh... I mean. I, I like the idea of squig because it gives you height, but not too much height. So there's enough. There's a, like an optimum height fight height where you, you can you can be seen by everyone because you're just high enough. But you're not yeah, too let, high. You're making a good argument. Uh, the gargan is the most ridiculous, and this is 40k. So let me say, gargan. And Dad, are you saying squigs? Optimum I'm going size. squigs. Mainly because I like saying the word squig. 
<laughs> so but you should be saying squig off, really. Right? Squig, squig off. And so in, in in Dan's theory, the best position for a war boss to command from is the perfectly sized, appropriately scaled squig of known as a monstrous <laughs> yeah, sea yeah, squig of. Yeah. Yeah. There is there is he's, a, there he's is high, a, but not too not high. Too high. He's got good yeah. sight lines. Yeah. Well it's done. Like the second, I, I bet there's some sort of second hand squig off dealership where they sort of like have an they have a guy in sort of like one of those um lambskin jacket type things going oh you like this one this one's a, only a couple of owners does several hundred miles something second hand squiggots is like making love to a beautiful woman <laughs> <laughs> sorry swiss tony reference there for anybody that didn't get it <laughs> we buy any squiggot for dot teeth yeah, <laughs> I, I like the idea of a second-hand squig with like a, a cap on and everything. It'd be great. He's got, yeah. got a branding on it that, that says "squig yeah. off." Yeah. <laughs> like... uh, well done. Whilst squig up second-hand dealerships might not quite exist, monstrous seek squig offs do, and I can tell you yes. that, that is where Hellbrecht killed Tuskrod. Um, optimum height for <laughs> killing killing a war boss in front of them. The perfect height, not too high, not too too short, small. The perfect height. Well, Goldilocks squigger. Yeah, it's the Goldilocks squigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that this particular class of squigger is known by imperial standards as a monstrous class Orchisaurus. Yeah, those people in here who come up with names need to do need to just dig a bit deeper sometimes. Don't they? <laughs> I'm not making this Orchisaurus. up. Orchisaurus is a legitimate classification of squig up. What? what do you, uh, there's got to be some sort of what do you call a squig off with no eyes? Uh, do you think, do you think he's us? And then finally, to round out the first round, question seven. After Sigma Ulstari barely survives the combined Xenos assault thanks to the Black Templars, Fabricator General Flagostock felt betrayed by Inquisitor Shan Husan as the Cordon Impenetra had failed to come to their aid in their hour of need, as promised. How did the Fabricator General respond to this turn of events? Did he A... Petition the Officio Assassinorum to execute Inquisitor Sanchun as a traitor. B. He declared that Sigma Ulstari would now be withholding industrial resources from all other systems in the Cordon in, in protest. Or C. He sent directives to the other Forge worlds across Octarius demanding the Mechanicus withdraw all forces from the support of the Cordon Impenetra. Ooh, that's a bit harsh. I think that's too harsh. But, I mean, they are all harsh, but I think yeah, that, that I mean, Forgemaster General Clang just destroyed worlds because they might be a bit tainted, and we can't take the risk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you've got this. You've got this cordon stopping like all the nastiness of the galaxy coming out of, and and you're like, ah, it's all right. We'll we'll just let them have it. Yeah, I don't think fall that, into the even, trap of even for forty k. That's a bit. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that anybody in 40k is the good guy. No, I wasn't thinking. No, 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 no. <laughs> Purely from a selfish point of view, yeah. if you if everyone's kind of doing this to stop the big gribblies coming out, what I think that's a bit. I mean, you want to you want to go, you know, well, you're not having 
I'm not doing anything else, but not that, like, we're going to withdraw every single mechanic. That's no Titans. No, <laughs> that's no Titans. No las guns. You can't have any las guns anymore. We're not giving you any. You have to now fight with sticks. That's well, what you have to fight with. Las guns are useless against siege screwdots anyway. How do you know? Depends on the size. <laughs> Depends if you're the off, the last it depends if you're the perfect height when you fire the last yeah, gun. Yeah, it's the height when you fire it. it all, it's all height related. <laughs> um, I forgot what the answer So you've got option A. Well, if he's forgotten, I'm going to go with the assassins because I think that's ridiculous. I can't imagine that actually happening, so that's the one I'm going to go for. I... See, I wanted to go with the assassins. I'm going to go with the assassins too because I feel the assassins is like, yeah, yeah that, that's not, we, we, yeah. I mean, pettiness, sure, we can get that. That's no, that's why I think he's going for the assassins. I don't think it's an actual threat. It's just gone. Ah, just I'm going to get rid of that assassin. guy. Yeah, get rid of him. Ah, uh, the pettiness of the imperial nobilities. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you both think that is so feasible and <laughs> likely to happen because unfortunately, I made it up and that is not true. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but it's very believable. Now, in fact, um, he just decreed that Sigma Ulstari would now be withholding all industrial resources from neighboring systems. So not yeah, the entirety I... of the cordon. Yeah, I thought that last one was a bit like, oh, hang on a minute. That's <laughs> a little bit harsh. You can't have any Titans, you can't have any siege guns, you can't have any las guns. You're allowed this Minotaurum official now, stick. I love the, the way Danny says, Dan, I love the way he says in facts like these are real facts. <laughs> <laughs> they well, are, Dave. Obviously, <laughs> it's funny how what you described there, Dan, is what's happening to the neighbouring systems, just not the entirety of the cordon. Yeah, oh, no, I get that. It's just from a, I, I, I'm going to go, this is, now, Dave, I'm going to go really sad here. From a, from a military logical perspective, <laughs> you don't want to get rid of a cordon that's stopping you, the entire galaxy from falling apart. The inside bit's fine. Don't care about that. Well, that is, uh, that is the end of round one. So after uh, Sigma Ulstari has made hit stand, the scores on the doors at the moment is three points to Dan and two points to Dave. Close, close. Ooh, very close. It's very close. So on to round two. We have Octarius Besieged. So each of these questions more or less relates to um, a portion of the invasion of the core Octarius system by Hyphen and the Swarm Lord uh, across the various planets and locations and um, the ongoing battle with the Overfiend of Octarius himself. First up we have... What event prevented the Tyranids gaining the upper hand in the conflict at Octaria at the outset of the war? Was it A, the Blood Crusade of Khorne, caused by the arrival of the Great Rift? B, the sudden arrival of Gazgul Fracker? Or C, Deathwatch kill teams identifying and killing the Swarm Lord each time it is reportedly spawned across the Octaria's sector? That one, I think that that makes that. I hate to say that that makes sense, but that is forty k. No way did Gasgol turn up. It's just, it's just too. It's not. It's it does doesn't sit right. Mainly, and now I'm going from a sort of real world perspective. They would have been putting that on community sites everywhere. That would be a thing. That would. He's too famous. That's what it is. He's one of those. He's too famous. He's like, I'm too big for this. I've got a bigger squid off. 
and this is the one I'm seeing. So, I'm yeah, too I'm high to be famous. killed. I'm too. I'm too famous. He's sort of like he's like A-list orc. Whereas he's too, like, he's too sexy for this war. He he is. Whereas like all the other orcs are kind of B-list, C-list orcs. Um, so I'm going to be death was guilty. I'm quite drawn to the Cornwall Badlands, but then, you know, corn versus orcs, that constant battle thing is, 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 uh, corn versus Tyranids, again, it's constant warfare. Ah, uh, you know what, you know, part of me really wants to go with, uh, Gaskell, because he, you know, that would be ridiculous. And I, you know, I think, I, I like, and he did get a model, you know, relatively recently. Nah, come on, he's too, he's, he's too famous. That would be like, uh, let's think, that would be like, um, who's really famous? That would be Gulliman. like... Be like no, no, Gulliman I meant like real world, like uh, oh. Michael Sheen doing CBBS or something like that. I don't know, like... Yeah, but he has done Jack and I. No, he hasn't. Yeah, he has. Has he? Yeah. <laughs> so has Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Um, I, mean, I just you convinced it. me. Yeah, his CBV example has convinced me. I'm going to go with Gasgol. He's probably wrong. Gasgol turned up and stopped them. <laughs> I mean, my heart says, my heart says corn, but uh, I'm going to go with Gasgol. Well, Dave, you should have listened to your heart because it was indeed the Blood Crusade of Corn. Uh, so, on the onset of the Great Rift, uh, basically the part of Octaria that fell. Uh, subject to it was consumed by the Blood Crusade and was eventually <laughs> congealed, as it were, into the area within Octaria known as Damore, where all the corn worshippers are busy having a right old time fighting all the orcs and tyranids. And their arrival in the cordon is what basically prevented the tyranids from getting too much of an upper hand too early. Ah. Very good, very good. But also, a side note, Gasgul has actually appeared in Octaria previous oh, really? to these events, where he um, dived down the throat of a Morlock to pull it apart from the inside. <laughs> when did he do that? That's kind of cool, but when did he do that? Uh, after he teleported away from Armageddon. Um, ah. One of the places he appeared was in Octaria, uh, where he basically showed that he was the biggest and the best boss, and got the Overfiend at the time to follow him right so that was basically that was his sort of like children's television presenter moment yes there, that bit. right yeah. yes that's right diving down the throat of a morlock to pull it apart from the inside was yep. gasgall frackers kids CBB's tv yeah. television appearance yeah. that's that's definitely that, that's it you can quote that from <laughs> us here gasgall cbb's moment yeah uh, Great reference for our international listeners there, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Question nine. In an attempt to break the cohesion of the Orc Hordes, the Swarm Lord hunted down the Overfiend of Octarius and attempted to slay the colossal Greenskin. The pair of monstrous commanders did indeed find each other, and the ensuing battle lasted for hours. But can you tell me what was the outcome of this titanic clash? Was it A, the Swarm Lord killed the Overfiend? B, the Overfiend killed the Swarm Lord? Or C, both were severely wounded but unable to land the killing blow before they were forced to withdraw? You mean the mum stopped them playing before they got to the end of turn five? <laughs> Somebody's gonna get hurt. Swarm Lord! Swarm Lord! 
Get back here, it's tea time! You can just hear the, the Norn Queen. That's the Norn Queen going up in the background. Swarm he's, not a swarm. he's not a swarm lord, he's a very naughty boy. <laughs> it, um, it's not the hive mind, it's the hive mother. <laughs> yeah. I think, the, I'm going to go meta on this one, and this is a narrative podcast, and the best bit of narrative would be if they don't quite kill each other, because then you can come back and fight the battle yourself. So I'm going to go, he was a stalemate. See, I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go for. See, the swarm lord's not one creature, is it? Because the swarm lord is can be re, has been. In I I believe is like the genetic makeup of of lots of multiple swarm lords that have been killed over time because that's why it appears everywhere, isn't that right? Is that more right? or less, yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with. Oh. Is there an option that they kill each other? Uh, I mean, you can you can choose that as option D if you want. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. The option that didn't actually occur is that they kill each. No, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with. Oh. Nah, I don't know. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with the orc kills the swarm lord. Because I think. He can come back, whereas the Overfiend can't. Well, I can tell you, you both have good logical points, and whilst Dave is usually correct in the assumption that these fights usually end up with people being able to survive them and come back, Dan's point about the Swarm Lord is correct, and the Overfiend does kill the Swarm Lord, because the Swarm Lord is a literally recyclable character, and he is respawned. That is the one thing that they can go, oh, he's dead. Oh, no, he's not. He's back again. He's a little bit like the Avatar of Kane in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, so initially, in an attempt to break the cohesion of the orcs, the Swarm Lord does try to kill the Overfiend, and after several hours of fighting, the Overfiend actually kills the Swarm Lord. At which point, um, a couple of days or hours or unspecified amount of space time, <laughs> the Swarm Lord is respawned in the elsewhere in the fleet, and he's really pissed off with the fact that the other fiend killed him. You seem heretically close to comparing the uh, Swarm Lord to Saint Celestine there. <laughs> yeah, I, I do also like the idea that there's a respawn time as well. Yeah, it, it must take like some a... amount of time and resources to you know re-cultivate yeah. uh, and you know spawn the Swarm Lord. He's but... obviously stuck. He's stuck in the in the lobby. Of, of he's the, waiting of to get back in. He's just like, come on, come on. Did, did he Did he really die, or did he combat log his network cable and he's just had to reconnect? <laughs> <laughs> well, after he respawns, uh, he decides that um, he needs to basically t- take more of the system before he can attempt to assault Octavia again. Um, so he starts concentrating the fleet's efforts on the individual worlds across the Octarian system. So can you tell me, on Bad Squig, which is a planet <laughs> within the system, Bad Squig. Bad Squig. That's yeah. not the question. That really is the yeah, planet. That is an actual planet. Okay. Yeah. On Bad Squig, what did Warboss Gragnat's Stomp Crumper attempt after That's seeing... That's a great name. <laughs> oh, just wait till we get to the name game round. So yeah. What did Warboss Gragnat's Stomp Crumper attempt after seeing a Carnifix for the first time? Was it A, he tried to tame one unsuccessfully, B, he tried to eat one unsuccessfully, 
or C, he tried to kill one barehanded, unsuccessfully. He ate it or tried to. I like the idea that he like went for it and just like out of his mouth, and then the the kind of effects just sort of like he just rode it on with his teeth, sort of being thrown around. Definitely tried to eat it. Got to. Uh, I'll go for the. I can do this without any weapons. <laughs> you tried to show off, did he? Well, I can tell you that he decided it would make a great pet, and he attempted to tame it. Oh. And unfortunately, these attempts were unsuccessful, and it cost him an arm, a leg, and an eye. But he considered these just minor setbacks. <laughs> He's got a good docky, they are. Um, so, next question. Um, how did the Tyranids on Bad Squig adapt themselves to battle the orcs there? Was it A, they had adapted to have sticky, tar-like blood, pinning orcs caught in large melees, leaving them vulnerable to ranged attack? B, they adapted to have pheromone-laced blood, that would send squigs into a wild frenzy when spilled near them? Or C, they adapted to have poisonous blood so that they would kill any orcs that ate the flesh of their fresh kills. Ooh. Orcs, I don't think orcs eat. Do orcs eat? They I, eat anything, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they do eat yeah. anything. Yeah, they pretty much eat anything, yep. Even Imperial rations. What was the first one again? The st- sticky blood? Sticky. Sticky, sticky tar-like blood. So that they would pin orcs in place and make them vulnerable to ranged attack. Oh, I like the idea of squig. Yeah, I do. I can imagine an orc being attacked by its own hair squig gun. (laughs) Didn't squigs in the lore used to be nids? I made you... Like, we're talking talking back in the day, though. We're talking, like... I, th- I think they they they're all types of orcs, actually, aren't they? No, I know they. I think we're talking. I know I'm talking like rogue trader. Here we go, type thing, and then they slightly changed it. I think you might mean zotes were originally meant to be a. No, I know they were, but I think when I I think there was a, like a minor reference. Some I, I right in the whatever's type thing. If I'm wrong, <laughs> and I probably am, but I, I'm I'm gonna go with squigs. I kind of like but, squigs. I think the sticky squeak. sticky blood is ridiculous, so I'm going to go with sticky blood. <laughs> well, I can tell you, it has been a surprisingly low-scoring quiz today because it was, in fact, no. poisonous blood, and if they ate the Tyranids, it would kill them. Oh. Okay. Well, there you go. They, they'll keep that for the crew, then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which also had the side effect of starving the orcs because there was very little food source if they couldn't eat the Tyranids. Um, next up, we have How did the hive mind lure Warboss Stumpcrumper into a trap? Was it A, it spawned a huge stampede of carnifixes specifically for his squig riders to chase? B, it spawned a huge bio titan with an irresistible fluorescent blue skin as bait? Irresistible in the sense he'd be unable to prevent himself trying to tame it, presumably. Or kill it, or wear its hide, or do anything with some sort of trophy kill. 
Um, or C, it spawned a brood of horror specs with gaping maws full of monstrous teeth because these were prized by the orcs. I. Oh, that one. That one. Oh, yeah, see, I think you're wrong there, Dan, because orcs only prize their own teeth, remember? That is uh, true. That's I also not true. Think it's just I, that they I, consider orc teeth to be some of the teeth. more valuable. Yeah, that is actually true. Yeah, 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 you're right there. I don't think it's the Carnifexes because that sounds like you've ripped it off from the White Dwarf, which I have read. So, I yeah, I see what you're doing there. It, the... Are we allowed to know is this guy a blood axe? Uh, he's a snake bite. Snake bite. So the blue. Well, the blue is death. Death. Death skulls. skulls. No, but now we know he's not a death skull either because he said he's a snake bite. <laughs> I'm, I'm still. I'm going for the teeth. I'm going for the teeth. The big. Oh, look at that. Lots of money. Essentially a living piggy bank to orcs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he has to smash it open before all the teeth fall out. See? I'll go for the the cattle stampede. Well, once again, it's no points. (laughs) It was, in fact, it spawned a huge bio-titan with fluorescent blue skin specifically to act as bait because it was too irresistible as a trophy kill. That's brilliant. Basically, yeah, the the hive mind, like, it made a white whale for him to be obsessed with capturing and killing more so than anything else and used it as bait to lure him into a trap. And uh, the orcs did refer to it as the big blue one. They're very original names, aren't they? (laughs) On to our next world in the Octara system. On Dakazot, the hive mind combated the speed freaks racing on the surface of the world by deploying huge tunneling bioforms to collapse sections of the surface beneath the speed racers held by the orcs. How did the orcs respond to these surface collapses appearing in the middle of their races? Was it A... They raced into the tunnels instead as new and exciting underground speedways. B. They built dangerous, often fatal stunt jumps across the collapse zones. Or C. They turned the collapse zones into deadly fighting pits, complete with naturally occurring supplies of deadly tyranid beasts. No, I I, I think the first one. It's got to be. Oh, look, new track. Let's go down there. Yeah, I, I think that's quite tempting. I, uh, it, but... Um also deadly stun jumps i mean that's also kind of speed freakish isn't it yeah it's it's not going to be the last one because that's they, they have to get off because they're not dark elder no <clears throat> i think the first one just because i like the idea of ooh, new track run i'll do the second one just like the loop on the on the tunnel the inside of the tunnel yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. i could tell it's you... quite possible as well if you've got a speeder made out of a jet yeah <laughs> I can tell you that, Dan, you are correct. They were indeed big fans of the new DLC tracks that had appeared. <laughs> <laughs> the down low courses, underground. Wipe out 40,000. <laughs> but yeah, they literally just dived into these tunnels going, great, let's race around here. It's dark, it's dangerous, there could be tyranids in here, and we might end up just racing down the gullet of some giant tunneling beast. This'll be fun. So that one's more like uh, Joan as well, rather than Moby Dick. <laughs> yes, yes, it really is. <laughs> right, and then we're moving on to our last couple of questions for this round. 
on the world of Octaria itself. So this is like the prime Orkeld world in the entirety of the system, the bastion of the Overfiend himself, and as you can imagine, it is a both hellscape and <laughs> orc dream world of just mechanized weaponry and dacker and everything that orcs love. On the world of Octaria, how had the orcs weaponized the mountains? against planetary invasion. It's going to be something fun. Was it A, they rigged the surface of the mountains of explosives so they could trigger countless devastating avalanches at will? B, the mountains were practically hollowed out to make space for countless high-explosive missile silos all pointed at the skies above Octaria? Or C, the surface of the mountains themselves would part opened by Orky Engineering and pitching the invading Tyranids into kilometre-long meat grinders hidden beneath the surface. That one, because that sounds awesome and, and ridiculous. <laughs> and we have seen Orcs do this same kind of thing in the 33rd millennium with their attack moves, so we know that Orcs can do that kind of thing. So think, um, think Tracy Island meets Saul. Yep. Yeah. I just love the idea of the, the yeah. Oh, this looks like a, a lovely mountain. Open it up, and there's just like a massive meat. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And A just... is a non-option because if the orcs lace the surface of the mountains with explosives, they wouldn't be able to resist setting it off, whether there's any or not. Yeah, yeah. So it's got it's the massive meat grinder because it just sounds so bonkers that it's got to be true. I like the attack missile silos firing out of mountains, but um, no, I'm staying with you. I, I agree with you, Dan. It's, it's got to be the meat grinder. Well, I can tell you that you both score a point because, yes, the mountain sized, kilometre long subterranean meat grinders are a thing that happens in 40k. <laughs> And as the Tyranids all land on the surface of the mountain ranges, they open up and part and just pitch them all into these meat grinders. <laughs> what a great, ridiculous thing. I mean, the best... I love 40k. Yeah, one of the funny things is how the uh, Tyranids end up solving the issue, is they basically, the next waves they send in after this has obviously happened a couple of times and they've adapted, um, they send in bioships which fly over the uh, pits as they open, and just basically disgorge mucus into them to gum them up. <laughs> so just this, like, you know, basically tyrannied, like, snot rain is <laughs> just dispatched I mean, into these things. The only thing that would be mildly more believable would be is, like, they, they have, like, a spare fork that they accidentally drop into it and it, you know, jams the, the, the gears up or something like that. But I, I quite like that idea as well. <clears throat> and then, finally, for uh, the second round, with the rest of the system utterly overwhelmed and Octaria itself cut off from reinforcement, the recently respawned Swarm Lord decided it was time to hunt down the Overfiend once more. What was the outcome of this second Titanic clash? Was it A, the Swarm Lord killed the Overfiend, B, the Overfiend killed the Swarm Lord again, or C, both were severely wounded and unable to land the killing blow before they were forced to withdraw? 
See, now I think it's the other way around. And there's two reasons why. One, never got the Archer Overfiend doesn't have a model. And two, this is the last question of the round. <laughs> which, which makes me think he doesn't live. That's the reason why I'm going with that. It's very logic. Cool. But I'm going with that. As in, the orc is killed by the Swarm Lord because he doesn't have a model. Mm. Dave. See, I'm tempted to go with the Swarm Lord is killed by the orc again because for the same narrative reasons they can just keep at it. Yeah, and that's true. It's an active, Octarius is an active, active center. But that same logic would also lead to my same answer that I gave before of they don't quite give each other an actual draw and carry on. Uh, but that's, that's not very orky. And it's not very Tyranid either because he knows he can respawn. So I'm going to say the orc kills the Tyranid. Well, I can tell you that Dan, you are correct. This time, the Swarm Lord does kill the Overfiend of Octaria. And at the close of the narrative of the book, that is kind of where it's left. The Orcs have just been recently beheaded, as it were, by the Swarm Lord. And the system of Octaria itself has been mostly overwhelmed. Now, oh, obviously, this is just good. a single star system in an entire section of the galaxy, which is, means that the orcs themselves are just going to become more fragmented and are not going to be fighting under the unified forces of the overlord fiend but it is interesting that essentially they didn't cop out and say it's still an ongoing fight they kind of have said that tyranids are starting to gain the upper hand now in octaria change easy being green <laughs> nope especially if you're going to be digested and reabsorbed and then spat back out as a purple tyranid <laughs> They'll be fine when the, uh, the attacker comes back in. So yeah, it might be that um, next time that the overarching story of Octarius is revisited, it might be that the Tyranids are now seemingly starting to win the conflict. Like, it's been the case, the sort of theme throughout the narrative is that while the Orcs are causing a lot of problems and giving the Tyranids a very good fight, it seems that the Tyranids are slowly edging out the victory in the wider Octarius area. And the cordon is going to really have to come under pressure when, you know, this surge of Tyranid forces are going to start trying to push back out. Assuming that is that something doesn't happen to come reinforce the Orcs, such as perhaps the return of a certain prophet. <laughs> so, Yarrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll have to see. But it's funny how, yeah, it, it's kind of, it leaves it off at the linchpin moment where the Tyranids seem like they're starting to turn the corner in the conflict having just slain the Overfiend. However, that does leave us with our third and final round of the night. Dave's favourite round. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the brutal but cunning name game. Oh, can you not make it more cunningly brutal? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Every question is going to be, was it Gork or Mork? Or Mork or Gork? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so both. this is actually a collated list from both of the Octarius books but mostly taken from the second one 
um, and we've got a couple of different categories to go through, all based on various orky naming conventions, and each of these is going to be a true or false answer, and you have to tell me whether or not you think this is a true name from this book. So, for example, the first category is Orc Warlords, and the first um, name we have is Warboss Stugbrog the Face Grinder. It's a little insipid as an old name, but it's also kind of orky. I, I think I think this is probably true. I'm gonna go true. I'm gonna go true. I think true. I, <clears throat> I can tell you that it is true. So there's a point for both Wee. of you. And uh, before we continue on, it's worth pointing out that at this moment in time, Dan is on eight points and Dave is on four points. <gasps> this is almost oh, kind of like our lightning round, as it were, and yeah. there's a lot of points yeah. for grab here. Um, so our second name Warboss Nabrot Stubfingers Nabrot right that's right oh my goodness me I mean there's a lot of innuendo in that one <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like Tony you've been on the orcgenerator.com orcnamegenerator.com and gone yeah. Click, 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 click. That's click, not the question, click, click. though. That's that's missing the question, Dad. Well, the question is, has he been on the same one that Games Workshop themselves use? That's true. <laughs> I'm going to say that is also true. I think that one's false. Nabrot Stubfingers is true. He is a war boss yes. of the Death Skulls. Next, we have war boss. You look so disappointed, Dave. <laughs> I am. Because that's the kind of name I would give to an old war boss. <laughs> Dave's workshop should be given to an old war boss. I think you're going to enjoy the rest of this round then, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up we have war boss Block Rots the Gold Tooth. Block Rots the Gold Tooth. Is that Da Gold Tooth or The Gold Tooth? It's Da Gold Tooth. Right, okay. <laughs> And tooth is also T double O F. Okay, right, okay. That wasn't no, no. Oh, okay, true. I'm going, true. I'm going true again. Um Blogrot's the gold tooth is in fact false. Uh, he's fictional <clears throat> as opposed to the others which are clearly a <laughs> non fiction. <True> fact fiction. <laughs> um next we have Warboss Cargrit the Red Tooth. Now, depending on how you would choose to interpret this piece of information, it is worth noting that our own Dan Wellington very famously has his own war boss of the name Red Tooth. So do we believe that I have simply adopted his moniker for a false option, or have Games Workshop themselves actually introduced a rival Red Tooth into the universe? I'm gonna go false. True. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go false. Well, Dan Wellington is going to be very pleased to know that there is a rival red tooth out there oh. for his war boss to go find and fight <clears throat> and prove that he is the biggest and the best because Kagrit the red tooth is in fact a goth war boss. Oh, so we'll have to find out who's best: goths or snake bites. 
Well, there's only one answer to that. <laughs> Fight! <Yep>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, we've got some mechanic names. So we've got Big Mech, Drognog, Squigbiter. Supposed to be a family show, Tony. <laughs> Drognog can go around biting whatever he wants. How tall is the squid? <laughs> <laughs> just, just the right height, Dan. We knew there'd be a moment where we'd lose it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listeners, I would assume that uh, Tony's cut out about uh, 60 to 120 seconds of just Dan laughing at this point. Oh, I don't know. I think he might stay in there. I'm going to go with true. <laughs> False, just to be different to Dan. As entertaining as it is, Dan, I'm afraid Drognog Squigbiter is false. Oh, I'm not uh, going to lie, I'm a little disappointed. Oh, you'll have to make your own. You'll have to make your own. <clears throat> with a squigger, exactly the right height. Well, after after we finish with the round, Dan, I will tell you exactly where I've been sourcing some of these inspirations from. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> Carry on. Moving on. <clears throat> Next up, we have... King Mech, Bad Crasher. No. No, I'm going false. King Mech, Bad Crasher. No, I'm going I, I, That's silly and juvenile. I kind of like that for a name. Whether it's true or not, I, I like that one. I, I'm going to go true just because I like it. Well, Dave, you'll be pleased to know that it is indeed true. And I wondered, I wondered, Dan, whether or not you might have picked up on a subtle clue here, because King Mech Badcrasher is, in fact, the inventor of the crown. Oh, of course he See that? To be honest, names I'm terrible with, so I probably would have gone, oh yeah, and then skipped over that It's the fact that, obviously, he's King Mech because he invented the crown. So he's self-styled, named himself the king, hasn't he? course he has <laughs> but yes he's uh, actually the, the mech responsible for the invention of the uh, synapse disrupting one. crown from book one great idea that. i love that <laughs> right come on his next it's, it's, it's game time that's it next we have big mech Urzog brew guzzler no i'm going false ah, it sounds a bit dwarven yeah, it brew doesn't sound like an orky word, does it? It's just sort of Oh Wah put kettle on. <laughs> wow. That was, <laughs> that was my Was that your that northern was, accent? Yeah, that was my what you think me and Tony sound like. Yeah, it, that is exactly what I, every every <laughs> sentence has got put kettle on going into <gasps> mill on the end of it. That that's sorry for any northern listeners. Um, um I think anything north of the M twenty five is north, so don't yeah, Chesterfield's in the south, don't be silly. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, it's so hard. True. It's a ridiculous answer, but uh, it's opposite to what Dan said. Um, well, that is a point for Dan, because Brugusler yes. is false. Fair enough, fair enough. Next, we have Speed Boss Zip Thunder. <laughs> you see, Chocolate Thunder is one of the names of the two things. Zip. In the, the things in the... Zip is spelled double Z. Z-Z-I-P. And Thunder is spelled with an F. Zip Thunder. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. Does he does he come along with Doc Kickstarter? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's that's false. That's can't that's not real. If it is, yeah. I, please don't say it's real because I'll cry. <laughs> it's got to be false. That's ridiculous, Tony. I could tell you that Speed Boss Zip Thunder is in fact true. <laughs> Oh, he is a Hulk Crusades being led by Hulk Kicks Big Doc Mech Kickstarter. Uh, Zip Thunder is a snake bite speed boss. Zip Thunder. <laughs> okay. How about his potential rival? Speed boss, Knackboz de Hammer. Knackboz. The hammer. No, false. Knack was the hammer. No, it just isn't a mouth. Yeah, some sounds. Yeah, somewhat how that kind of weird mm. thing on the head, like red tooth. Yeah, I'm going to say true on that one as well. Because oh. I keep getting it wrong. I'm going to get this one wrong as well. <coughs> uh, so, Dave, you're saying true, and Dan, you're saying false. Yeah. Is a point for Dan. <laughs> the hammer is false. <laughs> uh, that one just sounded like an amalgam of different orc things. It didn't because they usually have a uh, yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, next we've got Beast Boss Grimgar Badsquig. That sounds all right. I I want to go true with that one. That, that one. That sounds like an old name. I'll go false again then, just to be the opposite. So, Beast Boss Grimgore Badsquig is false. However, it is actually the name that I plan to give to my personal Beast Boss on Squiggasaw. Uh, okay. I approve. You've got Dave's approval of your name. Official <laughs> <laughs> Dave seal approval. Excellent. Yeah. For, for everything that that means. <laughs> so um, now I've got the song. What is it from that green haired lady where it's a bad squig? <laughs> and I'll stop there just before you get copyright infringement. Well, copyright for bad squig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, last couple of war bosses here. We've got war boss Zagrob the Butcher. That one I think is true. Zagrob Dabucha. False. Dabucha is true. He's a blood axe yes. boss. It was better these than I am, Dan. <laughs> it's because I'm going for so I'm going for the thing and then what he does. That's an orc name. It's noun verb. That that is essentially how I'm working this out well, if I can. So <laughs> you think all orcs have Welsh names like Jones the 
Jones the butcher. Jones the butcher and yeah, Jones yeah, basically. Williams the Wow. That's that's my yeah. Next up then we must clearly have a Welsh war boss. <laughs> Mr <laughs> Oogle Ironboot. See that no, but that's not a noun and a verb. That's a noun and a noun. See, this is this is how sad I need to go out more. That's a verb and a noun. I am no, it's not. Zagrob de boot is an is a yeah. Sorry, it's a noun and a noun. I'm, I need to get out more. <laughs> I just need to leave the house. I'm talking about language with orc names. The conventions of language with orc names. I need a life. It sounds to <laughs> me like you've got an excellent one already. Uh, I have. I have. True, I, Tony. True. True. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go false because it. Warboss Oogle Iron Boot is in fact true. No, my light. Yeah, there you go. That's where you try and, you know. <laughs> and then finally for Warbosses, we have Warboss Gitzog the Stomp Smasher. I'm going to go true. Gitzog the Stomp Smasher. False. No, it doesn't ring true to me. It is, in fact, false. It is a little over-laboured oh. with uh, verbs, is that one? Verbs, yeah. There's too many verbs in that one. So, um, moving on, we're now going to name a couple of Orc Warbands that feature in the book. And at this point, our score is 13 points to Dan and 9 to Dave. He's been closing the gap. Catching up. So, first of our Orc Warbands, true or false? The Scrap Heap Bad Lads. Wasn't that a TV show? Yeah, no, I thought that was Except enough. Red Dwarf person. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to go false. True. The Scrap Heap Bad Lads is true. Oh, no. Dave, you're catching up. How about the Butcher Town Beast Boys? <laughs> that sounds like a boy band. <laughs> Or a place in the Underhive in Necromunda. <laughs> or are they? Or are they Goth Rockers? I am Goth. going false for that one. False indeed, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> the Budgetown Beast Boys is false. That is a point for both of you. I just like the idea of like five orcs in white just yeah. singing. Like, <laughs> like an orc version of E17. Yeah. E7 Wadim. See, if they were Death Skulls, they could be like blue, couldn't they? <laughs> well, next up we have the Steam Stormers. See, if I was the if I was the correct pattern of orcs usage of uh, verbs and nouns. Yeah, sounds like a good Blood Bowl team name, though. Steam Stormers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Oh, false. I'm gonna go false. All right, I'll go true then. It's just on the cusp. The Steam Stormers are true. Oh. No! You'll be amazed to know that the Steam Stormers are in fact a steam-powered speed mob. That sounds amazing. I want to see that on the table. This is because this is the steam-powered steam mob of Snakebite Warboss Zip Thunder. Oh. <laughs> he leads the Steam Stormers. 
He should not be called Zip Thunder then. He should be called Chugga Chugga Choo Choo Thunder yeah. or something like that. <laughs> you know that Ivor the engine was driven by Jones the Steel. Yeah, he was Welsh. Exactly. There you uh, go. <laughs> Very honest and anticipatory railway traction hook tribe. Prob- Problem is, the reason why that, that particular warband weren't very good is because they never arrived on time. <laughs> <clears throat> it's the wrong kind of... Squig. Lead. Squig. <laughs> it's the wrong kind of squig on the line. Squigs are at the wrong height. <laughs> Too short. Yeah. Can't, can't, can't go... To, can't travel today. <sighs> can't do it. Squigs. Nope. Um, next up we have the Squig Sticker Boys. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not true. It's got Please to be true. It. No, it's no. true. It's got to be true. No. Uh, are you going with false, Dan? Okay, we're false. Uh, good choice. The Squig Sticker Boys is false. <laughs> because that's not right. <laughs> it's not right. Not right. It's not right. Um. Okay, well then, how about the Death Spit Dacker Boys? Ooh. That sounds true. That sounds true. I'm going to go with you as well. True. I think that's... Can't gainsay that one. (laughs) In that case, you both get a point. It is true. Yay! Uh, then we have Zagbog's Cannon Crew. Zagbog. Wow, that sounds very freebooter. That sounds like an old fantasy orc name. That does sound very orky. Oh, they yeah, true on that one. Yeah, I, I'm afraid I, I can't split the difference on that one. I agree, it's true. You are both right, it is true. <clears throat> then we have the Tank Crumpers. I think that I've heard of them name. before. That that's is, not that's right. Name. That's got to be true. That's a good one. True. Yeah, I'm going true. Well, funnily enough, it's false. No points to either oh, of you. Sure. Yeah, the, the tank crumpers is in fact made up. Or at least they yeah. don't appear in Octarius. You need to make that a unit in your warband as well. That's a good <laughs> The yeah. tank crumpers. That's, yeah. that's if you've made that up, on. well done, Tony. <laughs> that could be my unit of tank busters. I've got a new unit. Yeah. Uh, and then finally for all warbands, we have... Gore Gutz's Great Big Grand Mob. See, I think Gore Guts is an. I think I've heard of Gore Guts. Yeah, I think Gore Guts used to ride cyborgs. We don't I'm have cyborgs anymore, do we? True. Yeah, but I'm going to go true. Yeah, I am. Yeah, as much as I want to split the difference and catch up, I think that's true as well. I can tell you, it is true. The great oops, big oops. grand mob is a, an actual warband. <clears throat> oops, yeah. you, love, you do love their alliteration. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it was a... I think it got introduced a while ago. I don't think that's new here. I believe... It, I think it was against the Space Wolves when, orcs, when they introduced the Orcs versus Space Wolves type stuff. I think the Orcs and Gorguts might actually have been originally from Dawn of War 2. I think it might have been the one that's from that. Yeah, but, yeah, it's not the same Gorguts, it's a different one, presumably. No. Um, and then finally, the last part of the Brutal But Cunning name game, we have a couple of actual orky machines of war with their given names. 
could you tell me if these are real Orc War Machines or not? So first up we have the Mega Daka Blaster. Definitely real. Got to be real. Be real. It's good. Yeah. If he's not in Octarius, it is somewhere else. <laughs> well, the Mega Daka Blaster is real, and Mega Daka Blaster is spelled as one whole word. Of course it is. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a given. Of course yeah, it is. Of course it is. <laughs> it was an Orc Battlecruiser. Nice. Uh, next we have the Steel Fang Loot Wagon. No. I'm going to say false. I don't know, I've painted one of those old orc battle wagons. <laughs> and they are very spiky and steel fang kind of applies to them. Uh, can you give me the name again, please, Tony? The steel it's fang. It's not countdown, Dave. <laughs> this is not countdown. Yeah, I'd, I'd have won if it was countdown. Sorry, mate. I'll, 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 I'll use it in a sentence for you. <laughs> <laughs> the Death Skull War Boss used his The Steel Fang Loot Wagon to collect all of the best loot. True. You convinced me. I can't remember what I said. Uh, Dan W said false, but is that what I you want to I think I said false. Yeah, I think I said false. I'll go for false. It is false. I know. Uh, and then next up we Tony, have... Tony, can you, can you, for every single one now, put it in a sentence, please? Because I feel like I benefited from that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up we have Gork's other foot. As in, it wasn't Gork's first foot, it was Gork's other foot. That that sounds very orky. Yes. Yeah, I'm going true with true. that one. Uh, that is indeed... True, it was Warboss Nabrot Stubfinger's Looted Baneblade. And every other looted vehicle he owned. I think that's because I think he that's had brilliant. Yeah, he had his initial looted baneblade called Gork's Foot, and then every other looted vehicle in his armada he called Gork's Other Foot. <laughs> and typical Orky logic, none of them walk. Probably, yeah. That's that's the best thing about it. It's just like, yes, it's 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 a bane blade. It doesn't walk. It's, best thing about time. bane blade, though, right? When he's in the cupola, he's just at the right height. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then next we have the crump wagon of Gork. Crump wagon. Of Gork. <laughs> you see, I'm going to say false because there's probably a crump wagon of. I'm going to go I'm going to go true just to be just to be different. Uh, the crump wab, the crump wagon of gork is true. No. It is a true orc vehicle in this book. And then next we have and Dave I was tempted to put in the crump wagon of mork as a fake name for the next question <laughs> but I didn't. And instead the next name we have is the flame spitter of mork. The silence is just—it it just could be true. That's why I'm hesitating. I'm, I'm going false. Yeah, I'm second guessing myself, but I'm going to go true. It is false. Uh, and then penultimately, we have Mork's wind. 
I don't know if I mentioned before the recording, but I had a very spicy curry this year. <laughs> That's not a name of a vehicle. That's, that's what happens after David's a Well, <laughs> it could be a propulsion system. <laughs> that's got to be false. That's, that's, that's child. I, I think it could be the name of an orc attack aircraft. So, yes, <clears> I'm going to go with true. I can tell you, Mox Wind is true. Wow. Wow. It, it, specifically, there are no details about what it is. But it was simply a war machine known as Mork's Wind. And then our final question of the night. Is this Orky war machine a real name or not? The biggest boomstick. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Probably a got one. No, it's it, no, it feels too much like uh, somebody's watched too much oh, Evil Dead. That's That's no. I'm going false. Well, I can tell you, then, that the last point of the night goes to Dave, as the biggest no. boomstick is a true name in this book. You see, just because it does sound very Evil Dead doesn't mean that people at Games Workshop haven't watched Evil Dead. That is true. Which means our final that... scores at the end of tonight's Fun Facts Quiz I'm on is Dan on 23 points. And Dave on 19. Yes! <laughs> it was well very done. close. Yes. At one point, there was two points in it. That's uh, how close you were in that last round. And for reference, um, all of the false names uh, in this round, I generated using the orc name generator in, there we go. in Saga of the Beast. In- Oh, so those are okay, all they were actual <clears throat> Games Workshop suggested names. For that's still good. That's quite good then. Yeah. For so hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That does mean that yes, the two-part name Drognog Squigbiter is written in Saga of the Beast as a possibly generated name. Is he the chief of the Squig Stick? It's like it's like a runt herd, but a little bit more. Um, inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So yes, whilst not all of them were names that were found in the Octarius book, basically a good ninety percent of them are um, either real or potentially real generated ones from a Games Workshop random generator. Yeah, good. That was That's cool. that was good. And some of those old uh, older books that we still have in the collection is really good for out that kind of material. That's fantastic, do Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it looks like the next time we do one of these, it's going to be all about Abaddon's shenanigans on Vigilus and the surrounding Archmund Gauntlet. So that's going to be interesting. We'll have to see what um, various fun names we can come up with for a chaos name generator. <laughs> It'll be spiky m- Spiky face. Yeah, you need a heavy metal band generator. <clears throat> yeah, yes, you would. You would need a heavy metal. Yeah. Abaddon's back in black. Or, you know, yeah. Makes everybody paranoid. Or, you know. Um, number of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you both enjoyed that. I hope the listeners enjoyed listening to it, and um, I hope we've gained. 
and a somewhat hilarious insight into the activities of the Octarius sector. I apologise if you were wearing headphones and I started laughing because again, it was ah uh, just. Or indeed, if you were driving and laughing was infectious, please don't yeah. listen to the podcast while driving. Although we should have said that at the beginning, not at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Editing is a wonderful thing. Maybe. So yeah, just before we sort of wrap it all up for tonight, then should we just quickly review our community spotlights? I don't know if either of you two have any picked out for this particular episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the only thing I'd like to be really engaging with is different from things we've we've really mentioned before is is the club that we go to and, and help uh, make sure run uh, successfully. Both Dan and I are admins there at 2D6 Lodge in Cambridge. We meet on a Friday night and uh, we have between up to about eight or nine tables, depending on exactly which games are being played. Um, we work <clears> games <throat> of all sorts and, um, you know, it's uh, something that's got us both out of the house and, and playing games of different kinds. Um, since uh, things have got a bit easier. Full mask wearing is expected at the moment, but um, you know we'll look to ease that off when things get better. But at the moment, um, you know everybody's staying safe. And, um, yeah, quite enjoy 2D6. We've been going for quite a while now, what, eight years, yeah. something like that? I, I can't, because I joined two years after I think you started, so yeah. probably something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's a great club. Everyone's very friendly, very friendly. Um, and... It's, it's not competitive. You can get any type of game you want. If you want competitive, you can get competitive. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and we play everything and anything, really, don't we? Yeah, um, everything from... We regularly see Bolt Action and 40k and Age of Sigmar and Middle-Earth Strategy Battle Games out of it. Renaissance. There's a Blood Bowl League. Uh, Necromunda's played. Um, and lots of other games. Stargrave and Fosgrave. And, uh, I've been playing Space Hulk recently, actually. I think I put a few photos up on the Facebook group page of some of the games that I've played with Liam up there. So, uh, yeah, we're open to any kind of game. It's called cool. Well, I can say I am officially very jealous. <laughs> well, if you're well, in Cambridge you're... on a Friday night, yeah, you're always you always welcome. Yeah, if you come down, you can uh, come come meet us in person, and then... Uh... It's, just, it's just a short hop down the one. Oh, yeah, so ne- next time yeah. I'm just uh, strolling through, I'll make sure to stop by. <laughs> Um, is it, yeah, um, go check those out if you are fortunate enough to be near enough to potentially get involved. And if you want to find us, just uh, 2D6 Lodge in Google. Uh, we got a, a web page or, or we got a Facebook group with the same name, so it should be easy enough to find. Excellent. Uh, I guess we've got Twitter and Insta pages as we're, well. We're on Insta as yeah. well. Lee's gone mad on that at the moment. So. <laughs> that's good. It's good. It's easy to find us, that's what I'm saying. Hmm. And for myself, I want to shout out, say hi, Paul, over on YouTube. So he's been doing some, um, you know, some interesting narrative battle reports anyway over the last sort of year, really. So he started producing some during lockdown, and he's just been doing more and more as part of the uh, the DZ uh, deployment zone community. But he's also got some uh, like free view stuff over on his YouTube channel, uh, notably of which one of his recent bat reps is actually with James March from March of War over at Tabletop Events. So, if you're actually interested in seeing a bat rep being played at the venue that we're going to be hosting the Narrative Wargamer Crucible of War event at, then go check that out because you get to see uh, James himself, who is one of the people who obviously runs Tabletop Events and he's a very beautifully painted Tyranid army. Uh, in fact, he even had some Tyranid terrain painted up that he was going to use in the game. 
um, but he'd taken it with him to play in a bat rep uh, prior to that with Winters SEO and Winters had liked it so much he decided to claim it for himself <laughs> so he's uh, since left the tyranny terrain with him and um, he, hence he didn't have it <laughs> for this uh, yeah. game with uh, say highball but yeah uh, if all that is covered <laughs> in the bat rep as uh, Paul is somewhat slightly salty about Winters robbing him of the opportunity to play with the tyranny terrain but uh, it's all good fun, and yeah, go check that out. And it's a good bat rep. Um, so yeah, Paul does some some good narrative uh, content anyway. And yeah, you also get to see the tabletop events venue and get a a sneak peek of what could be the sort of thing that might be happening at the Crucible of War event. So yeah, go check that out, guys. And um, I think that's everything for tonight, then. So thank you, Dave, and thank you, Dan, for joining me once again for our latest fun facts. Only for creating the quiz, it's really good. Yep, as per usual, thoroughly enjoyable and just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the quiz was at just the right height. <laughs> it was. <laughs> See now, I've, now I've just got images of like t-shirt art of like Helbrecht like swinging his sword and missing because the orc's just slightly too short. Yep. <laughs> so it's just like over his head. Damn, this isn't a siege squigoth. It's a normal one. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you to the listeners for listening. And yeah, I'm looking forward to another year of content from the show. Plenty more to come. Plenty more content to cover. And it honestly is, in the best way, never ending. <laughs> so yeah. Until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play multi-game.